Okay, let's go. Okay, well, good morning. Or as I'm used to saying, bonjour. Yeah, we can learn a little French this morning if you'd like to, although you'd be at a dangerous level at that point. Yeah, it was interesting in 76, um, actually my, my link to Lakeside goes back to 69. I'll be, you'll hear this again in the presentation I do in 10 minutes at the next service, but just a little historical background. My family moved from upstate New York uh, in 1969 to Clearwater. At that time, this building did not exist. We, the believers were meeting on a church facility on North Hercules, which would become this church, Lakeside, a, a few years later. Um, so I was 15 years old, moving, well, my family moving down here. I thought I'd be the new kid on the block, but everyone was new back then. And Pinellas County was just expanding and expanding as we went. And found this church home, which was the church that uh, sent me off to Bible College, ended up going to Columbia Bible College in Columbia, South Carolina, where I met this fine young lady, Karen, from Knoxville, Tennessee. Uh, she was thinking she was going off to Africa as a missionary, and I told her I wanted to go to France, and she agreed that that would be a better option. So she, <laughs> she came, we went to France together. On June 5th, 1976, we graduated. June 12th, we were married in Knoxville, Tennessee. June 19th, we were candidates at Wheaton's at Teams Candidate School in Wheaton, Illinois. And the following month, July 76, we ended up here as a young married enthusiastic, inexperienced, naive couple here in Clearwater. And then it was just two years later, 78, that we left for France with Lakeside as our primary sending church. And this is something that I wish all missionaries could say. We have one church that has been our home sending family church for our entire missionary career. And that's not always the case. But we have had one church. Now, we are supported by other churches, too. That's true. And they have loved us and helped us in many ways. But we always have had one church that we could say, this is our home church. This is our sending church. This is the church that we can count on at any time to help us through all of that. I thought what we would do this morning is I want, having done this for, what, 46 years now, uh, I, I have had my share of giving messages on missions and all that. I, I think I've probably treated almost all the passages in the Bible, the best known ones and some other ones on what it means to be missionaries and the needs around the world and all that. And in a church like Lakeside, this would just be a review. But there's one that keeps coming back to my mind over and over, and it's one of the simpler ones, too. But it's the one that I think cap, uh, and, well, it summarizes well everything I've, been, I've lived and seen and want to share with the next generation as we re-reach what they call retirement. Now, retirement for us is not uh, just stopping what we're doing and, and trying to figure out what to do with the rest of life. We're going to retire in France, right where we are, and let the U.S. government be one of our primary supporters through Social Security. And, but we're going to continue to do what we've always been doing, and that is helping churches get started in a country that still needs many, 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 many more churches. We're still going to do that. Uh, our hearts are in France. Uh, we've learned the language, we've learned the culture, we think in French when we're in France. You, you, one thing you learn as a missionary is it's much more than just learning a language. 
It's learning the way a people think, the way they relate to each other, the way they function, the way they make decisions, the way they greet people, the way they don't greet people, the way you build friendships, all those things. It's a whole mindset. And the French way works wonderfully in France. The American way works wonderfully in America. And don't try to mix the two. It does not work. Which is why France is our interesting ally on the other side of the Atlantic. The French have a horrible time understanding why Americans do what they do and vice versa. So uh, it's been quite an adventure living in both cultures. But the passage that comes to my mind back and over and over is Mark chapter 2. So we're going to look at that. And But I also, I'm going to treat that passage, but I would like to open it up for discussion. Uh, this is a good chance for us to talk about what it means to be in missions, particularly in France. I mean, that's my area of expertise. And I want to give you an opportunity to ask questions and we can see how where we want to go. Because uh, we live in a world that is getting more and more complicated with uh, France's moral decline uh, is the same as America's moral decline. Interestingly enough, and before we get into the passage, I used to say, if you want to see where America is going, well, come and visit me, and you'll see where you will be, unless things change, in the next 10, 15, 20 years. I don't say that anymore. I'm almost telling the French, if you want to see where we're going, well, look what's happening in America. I didn't think I'd ever say that, but it's true. But we need to, in light of that, cultural challenge. Uh, Let's look at this uh, Mark chapter 2, the first verses. Now, obviously, the context of Mark chapter 2, we're just at the very beginning of Mark's uh, biography of the life of Jesus. So we're right near at the beginning of things starting to happen. It's one of his first public appearances of the ministry of Jesus. Not the very first, but we're right at the beginning. Mark chapter 2, the first five verses. And when Jesus returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, the rest of the story, of course, the Pharisees weren't in agreement with all that. and there was all, that, that, That's interesting at the end, but that's what I want to center on. Now, there, we all believe in the inspiration of Scripture. I don't have to teach you that, but what, there seems to me that there's a grammatical mistake in verse 5. What do you see as the seems to me evident grammatical mistake in verse 5. Hmm? Hmm? No. Their faith. What's wrong with their faith? I mean, what's why would that be a grammatical mistake? Ah, yeah, there is plural. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the singular paralytic. Whoa, whoa, wait, wait a minute. We're saved by faith. It's the paralytic's faith that counts, right? I mean, we all need to come to faith, by faith, to to Christ. And yet Jesus said when he saw their, whose faith? The four men on the roof. 
when Jesus saw their faith, there is no grammatical mistake, okay? Please don't quote me to Steve that I said there was a grammatical, but I, I, we want to remain members of this church, okay? Now, now, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven. Now, that man had to have faith too, that's true. But what that passage teaches me is that coming, not only do we come to faith, uh, to Christ by faith, but it's other people's faith that bring us to the point where we can come to faith in Christ. And that's what missions is all about. Thanks to your faith, I could give you the names of a bunch of people in France that are now believers in Jesus. Thanks to your faith. It's the same thing. Jesus could say, well, uh, when, when he said to that man in verse 5, and when Jesus saw the faith of Lakeside... He said to Maurice, Marialis, and all these other names I could give you, he said, your sins are forgiven because they came to faith through your faith, sending us to France. Now, how did that all happen? That, that's a wonderful analogy, but how did that happen? It wasn't automatic that this man got to Jesus. I mean, we'll look back, and I always, one thing I love to do with my French uh, uh, brethren is I, I love to say, no, no, let's put ourselves in that place, especially historical books where he's recounting history here. He's telling a story. Well, let's put ourselves in that story. Jesus is starting his public ministry. Obviously, his reputation is becoming known quite a bit because he's speaking at a house and the house is already full standing room only and even there's not even room to stand is so full and, and I can imagine that I mean, Jesus is in town wow we've got to get there get there fast it's going to be in this guy's house and did you realize and everybody's rushing to get to Jesus now it's interesting that this there's a man who's a paralytic where was he while everyone is rushing off to this house well, we know where he was. He was he was put down on a bed along the public byway. That's the only way this guy could survive. There was no social security back then. There were no uh, convalescent homes or, or things. No, this this man, all he could do was rely on the goodwill, mercy, and alms of people who would walk by to give him the sustenance he needed to make it to another day. That's how he survived, day after day after day. Now, my question is, how many people must have seen this guy on their way to see Jesus? A lot. How do I know that? Because the place is already full. The house is full. There's no more room. And all of them probably saw that man on their way. But why didn't they stop? These four, four men did, but a lot hadn't stopped by that point, which is my first point of what we need in missions is that they had conviction. They were convicted in their heart that this man needs Jesus. They couldn't say, well, you know, uh, be great if you could meet Jesus. Sorry, we're, we're late. No, no, this man needs Jesus. They had a conviction in their heart that the only solution for this man was Jesus. Well, that's pretty obvious. I mean, the man's a paralytic. Jesus heals everybody from anything the ob it was obvious that the solution for this man was Jesus. And I think in missions, we can often, and I grew up in a church like Lakeside, okay? I saw mission presentations my whole life while I was at Lakeside. 
whether I wanted to go to the mission presentation or not. We went to the missions conference, and that was Sunday to Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, every night, sitting there, listening to these wonderful missionaries from who knows where, telling their stories with the carousel slides, you know, that sometimes fit in and sometimes didn't. And I'm, I'm a teenager back then. I, was I interested? Well, of course I'm interested. Was I convicted in my heart? Well, of course, these people need Jesus. But could we, you know, get, finally get to the sunset slide? Because I knew that was the last one, you know, and, and move on. Because I, I was convicted. I believe that, but it didn't go any further. And I wonder if a lot of people went past this man and they were convicted in their heart thinking, whoa, if only this guy could get to Jesus. Or maybe one day Jesus will walk down here and see him. Wow, such a need. But then, of course, they just continued on with their daily life, with their life of getting to that room. But you have to have conviction. If you're not convicted that Jesus is the only way, well, the story ends there. And that's where I'm seeing a shift in America and in France and around the world. Is Jesus really the only way? Now, he's a good way and probably the best way, but Jesus knows the sincerity of their hearts. Well, they're sincerely wrong. It's not a question of sincerity. It's not a question of an open mind. It's a question of Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. That sounds rather clear to me. But if we're not careful, in America and in other countries, we're starting to see this, well, yes, that's true, but. No, it's not true, but it's true. That conviction needs to remain, and it has to be unwavering. But that's not the end of the story, because a lot of people were convicted. What stopped these four men? Something had to happen in their hearts for these four men to say, we'd love to go there, and by, by just talking about this, we're wasting time because we're going to lose our place at the house, but... The need here is greater than the need. We, we, we have to do something. So their hearts move from conviction to compassion. A compassion, a deep-rooted compassion. This man needs Jesus, and we're going to do whatever it takes. Even if it costs us our place at the house, we're going to stop and do something about it. Now, the word compassion, often the word translated by compassion in our Bibles, in Greek is a much stronger word. It's this gut-level ache. It, it, uh, one of my favorite Bible teachers translates it, his stomach was tied in knots. You know, when Jesus saw the multitudes and everything, he, his, he, had, he was moved with compassion. Well, that's a lot more than just, oh, wow, I guess that's a... No, it, it's, he was, his stomach was tied in knots. And that's the attitude of these men here. They, they, they had to do something. Do you know what it means when your stomach is tied in knots? I think we all know what that means. It's when you get a medical report that is not good. It's when you get a long, a thick envelope with return address IRS. <laughs> it's when you've been going down US 19 a bit too fast and suddenly a car with lights flashing starts following you. And it's not a party time. You know, that that's the feeling. The, or it's a call, when you, uh, the hospital calls, are you the parents of? Those kind of, you're, you, you can't live with that feeling. You've got to resolve it. 
Now, my question for the church in America and the church around the world is when we talk about a lost world, when I tell you that there are still hundreds, literally hundreds of cities in France where these people will spend their entire lives without ever hearing a clear presentation of the gospel unless somebody like you or me goes over there to tell them, does that make your stomach tie in knots? Or is it, wow, that's pretty bad. No, no, it's not pretty bad. It's an urgent need. And that's what missions is. It has to drive us from conviction to compassion, to that gut-level feeling of we are going to do something about it, whatever the cost. And that's the heritage of Lakeside, to send family missionaries or to work in the local communities to get the job done. That's what these men had. They had conviction. They had compassion. But there's still the man still hasn't made it one inch closer to Jesus. Now they've got to get this man to Jesus. Now, it probably wasn't that complicated. I doubt if they formed a committee, a study committee, to figure out how to get this man to Jesus. There is one bed, four men, four corners of said bed. Each one goes to one corner, picks up the corner, and takes the man to Jesus. Rather simple, isn't it? And yet how we can make missions so complicated. Talking about it, wondering, defining the 1040 window, determining what unreached means or doesn't mean, and talking and talking about all these missiological terms of what missions is, and talking and talking and talking and not getting anything done. Now these men got the job done through their cooperation, and that's the third C. Conviction, compassion, cooperation. They cooperated together, four men getting one man to Jesus. Now that was rather easy, I would think, at the beginning. Because there's four corners, I hope they weren't discussing, I want the left corner, you got the left corner last time. No, they, they, no, they, they picked up the bed and they went to the house. But now when they got to the house, what's the problem? They can't get in. Except how? Through the roof. How do you get to the roof? Oh, now we got stairs. Now, I've been a missionary 46 years in France, and we move a lot. We're church planters, which means we go to a city, we start a church, we get the church planted, and we move. And we, get a st we start a church, we establish leadership, we get it settled, and we move again. And almost all of us have pianos, which means we're all moving each other to different locations. And I've been involved in a lot of those. Now, we men, we're there, the truck is there, and we're unloading boxes, and we're exchanging stories, and it's a wonderful time of fellowship with fellow believers helping said missionary couple move to their next place, up to the second floor of whatever apartment or third floor, wherever they're going. But we all know what's back at the very end of that truck. The piano. And what happens when suddenly we can see this monstrous piece of furniture appearing behind the boxes? You know, my back, I've always, the chiropractor has been telling me, yeah, and when I played football, you know, and their knee injury, we all start telling our, about our ailments and the reasons why that that piano needs to get from here to there, but wish I could help. Somebody's going to have to get that piano up the stairway. And why do I say that? Because missions is tough work. It's not easy to get the job done. 
We need cooperation. We need all four corners of the bed, the hard, the heavy ones, and the lighter ones. What are those four corners of the bed? Well, as I think back on my missionary career, one of those corners is prayer. We need prayer. And I can tell you when Lakeside and other churches pray, things happen in France. We saw it, and I'll, I'll tell this story briefly, and you can sleep during my 10-minute session in the morning service if you want, but uh, this one is just too good. Uh, the Lakeside sent a team of 12 people to Pontchaha, the city we were working in, in 2013. The, the problem with Pontchaha was the city was against having us have our, our, our own meeting place. They did not want to grant it, which they should have. By French law, the city is responsible to allow all religious expressions to have a suitable meeting place. All religious expressions, not just the one the mayor might like or not like, and he was an unbeliever anyhow, so he didn't like any of them. And the excuse they give is, well, sir, we'd love to help you, but we can't give something. There, we don't have enough meeting places for everyone, so we're not going to give one to anyone to avoid discrimination. Well, that's a nice political way to get out of it, but it, the, which meant we didn't have a suitable meeting place. This, the believers, the handful of believers there had tried four times before we got there to have a meeting place, either to purchase or to rent or to renovate four different times. And these were legitimate requests. All four times the city figured out a way to block it. I mean, by ridiculous means. At one of them, for example, it, would have, it could have worked, but they said, well, okay, if you buy that building, we're going to require you to raise the 8,000 square feet building by so many centimeters of floor space to raise all of that because we consider it to be in the flood zone. That was very expensive. Also, we're going to charge you a 10,000 dollar, 8,000 euro, 10,000 dollar parking uh, forfeit for the number of members in your church, a one-time payment based on how many people, and of course at that building you could put 100 people in, so you multiply that by $10,000, one-time fee, just for the privilege of parking in their city. I mean, and, and it, the list went on and on and on. In other words, you're not going to get that place. We're not going to let it happen. That's when Karen and I arrived on the scene. And one of the first things we had to do was get the gain the heart somehow of the city authorities. But how are you going to do that? Well, we, we finally gained favor in the eyes of the mayor, at least that he accepted our presence because we weren't bothering anybody. And the little building or the little room we had on the outskirts of town certainly wasn't going to change anything. But we needed a better place. And I asked the team, Lakeside's team, when they came, they said, how can we be of service? I said, well, what you can do is pray. So we walked, now we live in the Alps which means mountains and valleys. And Ponchaha is right in a valley where three valleys converge and mountain ranges on all sides. We drove up to one of the mountain ridges where you could see the whole valley of 80,000 people, no church there, and said, please pray that God would start a church in that valley, particularly in the city of Ponchaha. Then we came down from that vantage point and we did prayer walks through the open marketplace praying that God would open hearts down the streets. And one group in particular, I had told them the, the city hall, somebody there had to open the doors for us. 
So they said, well, we're going to do prayer walks around City Hall. And we're going to pray that God would open the heart of whoever needs to be open to this, that God would do it in that place. So they did. They did prayer walks. It reminded me of Jericho, and I'm waiting for the walls to fall, but they didn't. But they prayed very specifically, Lord, you know who in that building has the power, the authority, whatever, to give them a meeting place and please Lord, and that was in the month of July 2013. The very next month, August, we have a city festival. Pontchaha has this open festival with our twin city in Italy, uh, outdoor activities and games and the mayor, of course, uh, telling us how wonderful his city is and how wonderful we are, especially in an election year, you know, and things like that. And, and it's just, just a fun festival. But what's interesting on this is they have the brochure, be sure you come to this, and on beginning Friday night, on Saturday morning, afternoon, and evening, Sunday, Sunday 9.30 a.m., Mass at the Catholic Church. Now, that is unusual. That, will, that should strike your eye if you live in France, because France has total separation of church and state. The state never advocates, advertises, supports, whatever, anything to do with religious activity. But this is the city brochure saying, Sunday morning, 9.30, Mass at the Catholic Church. Why? Well, it's been a tradition for well over 100 years. And our Italian friends are coming too. So it's time to be at the Catholic Church at 9.30 in the morning. And Karen and I said, well, that's a city activity. We're going to go to this thing. I had already developed a good relationship with the priest. He and I had a very cordial relationship. We could talk and be open-minded. And so we went to this thing. The church was packed. It always is on that Sunday because it's the city festival. And the priest got up and very... It was really fun to watch him say, well, I notice a larger than normal crowd this morning. It's sort of like, where are you the other Sundays? You know, that type of thing. I see the mayor and the city council are here. Welcome to them. But I also see Pastor and Mrs. Davis from the Protestant church, uh, and we welcome them to our service this morning. And then they did the Mass. As we're walking out, the mayor, now he's been mayor for 25 years, five terms already. So he's a good politician. And he's shaking hands with everybody and doing his public thing. And I watched, there was this lady who I had been observing for two and a half years. She was his number one assistant. She was the one handing him papers, dragging him from one place to the other, uh, whispering in his ear, coordinating things behind scenes. And I'm watching her going, she's the one that runs things around here. She's uh, very, I mean, but, but I had never met her personally. I, know who, I knew who she was. And she happened to be just standing there very calmly on the, out, uh, uh, the wall outside in the courtyard. No one around her. And I thought, well, I might as well go meet her. Now, in France, when you meet somebody for the first time, especially a public uh, official, you do not go up and just say, oh, bonjour, how are you? And I, no, 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 no. You say, bonjour, madame, to which she will say, bonjour, monsieur, end of conversation. Later on, bonjour madame, comment allez-vous, bonjour monsieur, je vais bien, end of conversation. And you just keep building and building and building. That's the way they do it in France. And if you do not respect that, you'll, you'll ruin the relationship. It just doesn't work faster than that. So I walked up to her, bonjour madame, and then she extends her hand, which I didn't anticipate. Bonjour monsieur, takes my hand and says in French, of course, but I'll translate, she said, Permit me to say that I, I appreciate you coming this morning. And let go of my hand. And that was the end of the conversation. 
well, thank you. And I walked away. And I thought, why would she be appreciative of that? She knows I'm not Catholic, and I know she's not even a believer. So, well, anyway, but that's the month of August. Nothing gets done in France in the month of August. It's a vacation month, so you just relax in the month of August because everyone, no one's there anyhow. So you just don't, you put everything on hold. Now the month of September, one month later. This is two months after Lakeside is prayed, okay? I, I told Karen, I said, you know, Madame Tozzolini, she's the one that runs this city. I'm going to go meet her and just talk to her about it. And she had been his assistant all 25 years, too. So, I mean, she knew the whole story of the parking fee, the four buildings, and I don't have to... So, I walked to City... We lived right across the parking lot from City Hall. I mean, two-minute pilgrimage to, you know, to, to, to her office. Found her secretary, and I said... Uh, introduced myself, and I said, I would like to, uh, to have an appointment with Madame Tozuluni. And the lady said, oh, she wouldn't want to see you. And I said, well, I don't know if how you could know that because she doesn't even know that I want to see her. Well, I can already tell you she wouldn't want to see you. And I said, well, we'll we will find that out after you ask her if I can see her. You have to be so diplomatic and know exactly what phrases to use and all this. But after 40 years, you have it pretty well down. So I said, uh, if you could just tell her that I would like to see her, that's all I'm asking you to do. Well, this is a waste of time. So she gets up from her desk and goes down the hall, and I hear two voices in the background. She comes back, eyes like this, going, uh, you can go right now. Like, who are you? You know, that type of thing. So I thought, well, thank you very much. So I walked in, and there's Madame Tozulini behind her desk with these files, very organized. I mean, this lady is meticulous, organized, obviously running things. So she greets me, I sit down, we do our little chit-chat, and then she said, now, well, what can I do for you? And I said, well, Madame Tozulini, I've, been a, I've lived in your city for about three years now, and from my observation, you are the one that runs the city. And she smiled, and she said, you could say that. Yeah, you could say that. And I said, and you also know the history of us looking for a, a meeting place, and thank you for this uh, small building we have on the outskirts of town to temporarily help, but we really need a better place. And I know if I find a place, the file is going to come right here at your desk, and you have the power to authorize it or to veto it. So knowing that, if I find anything, an idea, just or a proposition, could I just come to you first and ask you, what do you think? If you say, oh, no, 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 no. Well, we've saved both of us a lot of time. All right. For that request, you have access to my office. Would you tell your secretary that? Yes, I'll take care of her. <laughs> I'll take care of her. That was the month of September. The month of October, we found a little small uh, grocery, a superette type grocery store right downtown that was going up for sale. Totally needed renovation, not that big, but it was right downtown and it was for sale for about $100,000. And we thought, wow, okay, but I need to ask Madame Tozulini. So I walked to City Hall, saw her secretary. She just waves me by. <laughs> and I, I saw her and I said, Madame Tozellini, what do you think of the superette, you know, the one downtown? She said, oh, that's right, that one up for sale. Would that be big enough? I said, well, obviously I'd love something bigger than that. But yeah, it will allow us to get off to a good start. You have my permission, go for it. When I told the leader, church leadership of Pongshaha that we had just received 
permission from her to acquire this building, they said, that's impossible. I said, well, that may be, but God did it. But that's not the end of the story. In France, real estate takes three to six months transaction, especially for a business property, because you're working through two things, French administration, which is extremely long, and you're working with vacation periods. Nothing happens in France during vacations. So now we're in the month of December. Nothing gets done in December because the last two weeks are vacation, and you certainly don't want to start a project just before you go off on vacation. So now it's January, and the paperwork just didn't come through from their end, this large supermarket chain. It'd be like asking Publix, could you give us your ownership papers and deed or whatever for your building in, uh, uh, like the one on Belcher, and uh, please give us the deed so we can uh, authorize the sale. They couldn't find it. The office in Paris could not find the paperwork. For five months, they looked for it and couldn't find it. And the people in Pont Shahad, the believers, were, well, we finally even have the city behind us and can't have this building. So they were discouraged again. But to make a long story short, we finally went, looked at another place, a realtor proposed uh, another place for us, which was a slightly bigger, and he, the realtor, who is not a believer, watching us look at this very modest building, saying, but you want to start a church, right? Well, yes. Well, you need a place bigger than this. Well, yes. Well, why don't you buy the department store just down the, the, the way here? Oh, but that was one of the four that the church had tried to get before, the one they wanted to raise the, 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 slab. Yeah, the, the slab for the whole distance, the $8,000 parking fee and all that kind of stuff, or euro parking fee. So he said, well, I said, well, that would be wonderful, but we'd have to have the city's permission. Well, who, who's your contact at the city? I said, Madame Tozolini. Oh, well, let me call her. Direct line. I didn't know she had a direct line, but he did. He calls her and he says, yes, I've got Pastor Davis standing in front of me, and I've just proposed the, the department store. You wouldn't have a problem with that, would you? Thank you very much. You can have it. I said, well, that's very nice, but uh, what's the price? because the other one had been $100,000, the second one was like 200000 and this is seven times bigger than the one they were proposing. And I had already done the math, and we don't have that kind of money. And he said, well, you know, the investor, that's been empty for 20-some years. The, the investors told me to sell this thing if I could finally find a buyer. I, prop I uh, proposed it to someone else last year. They couldn't come up for the financing. Well, here, 60,000 euros, that's like $75,000. 60,000 euros, 55 for them, 5 for me, and we should be good. I said, 60,000 euros? Let's pray. Amen. I mean, that was an obvious. No. You know, discern the will of the Lord. You know, yes, got it. 60,000 euros. Yes, yes, you can have it for 60,000 euros. I called the church council, and I said, Madame Tozulini is letting us buy the Prise Unique, and I all knew what building that was, for 60,000 euros. Now, when that kind of thing happens, they think my French has suddenly <laughs> decreased. They're saying, no, Paul, what is the purchase price? Not the down payment. What is the, and they emphasize, purchase price. And I said, the purchase price is 60,000 euros. My French has not declined. This is a miracle, I know. And they, they, it was, and, and so what did we do? Well, 
we had been saving money. The, and a church down the valley had been saving money for 13 years for the Ponchaha Church Planting Project to have enough money for a down payment in the bank. And guess how much money we had in the bank? Exactly 60,000 euros. God answered prayer. And all thanks, well, thanks in part to Lakeside doing their walk. Does God answer prayer? Yes, he does. One corner of the bed. The other corner of the bed, another one obviously is the financial support. Without financial support, missionaries cannot do what they're going to do. One reason we could plant churches in France is that we were free. They didn't have to pay us to do it. But well, good thing there was no one to pay us to do it. There are no, when you start a church, who is going to finance this thing? You are, we are, through your generous giving. That's another corner of the bed. One of them is just plain encouragement and love and support through your love and encouragement, through cards, when Karen went through her cancer ordeal, taking care of us in, in unbelievable ways. And then obviously one corner of the bed is somebody's going to have to go. Go to these fields, go to these countries, and get the job done. So, Conviction, they had the conviction in their heart. Jesus is the only answer. Compassion, their stomachs were tied in knots. They said, okay, we're going to lose our place there, but we're going to get it done. Cooperation, everyone pick up a corner. Let's get this man to Jesus. Ah, the door's blocked. Now here's where it really gets interesting. Closed doors. What do you do in missions when the door is closed? They could have easily said, you know, sir, we, we really tried. Well, you can see for yourself that the door is blocked. Maybe another time. No, 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 no. That wasn't an option. This man needs to get to Jesus. The door is blocked. Yeah, that's true. Well, we're going to find another way to do it. And they're going to go through the roof. Now, this is a very audacious way to do it. I mean, we, we read that story and say, oh, how cute, you know, the one down ropes. What if you were the owner of the house? What if you were one of the ones with a front row seat listening to Jesus? This is Jesus, the Son of God, preaching in our house, in our community. And all of a sudden we, what, what's going on up there? And, and stuff starts falling down. You know, I, I, now, I'll admit, had I been one of the people on the front row, I'd be rather upset at this point. I'm thinking, who do they think they are? disrupting Jesus, and besides, I got here on time, they didn't, you know, and all, I, I'm sure there were interesting discussions, and not very cordial ones, going on with this group of people listening to Jesus. I want to interview them one day in heaven, but that'll be another question. What went through your mind through this? But what's even more fascinating is it didn't upset Jesus. I mean, he's giving up, he's talking, he's giving the word to these people and these men interrupt his meeting. But that was just fine with him. They let that man down and Jesus said, seeing their faith, he said to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven. And that is the last C. It's com commitment. Commitment to go to whatever needs to be done. Total commitment. If the door is blocked, we're going to go to the roof. And that is the very costly endeavor. If we're going to reach more French people, the next generation better step up soon and get more people over there. And there are countries in even more need. But that's what missions is all about. So that's the passage I leave with you this morning. Mark chapter 2, 1 to 5. In order to get the job done, 
that keep that conviction, that unwavering conviction that Jesus is the only way, that compassion that drives us literally to our knees with a stomach tied in knots, because the, that, that's just the only solution. Somebody's going to have to do it. Cooperation, Lakeside, continue your cooperation through your prayers, your financial support, your encouragement, your love. Keep doing that and get other people out there to get the job done. And then commitment. We're going to go, the French say, jusqu'au bout, all the way to the end. We're not quitting until the job gets done. And you have done that for us. And we want to express our appreciation to you. Now we have a few minutes left. Questions about France, culture, humorous language stories. <laughs> we have all of those. Yes? The Muslims, as we are growing as we speak, they have a pro they have privileged access to France because France colonized North Africa at one point of its history, and in order to compensate for that cruel colonization, especially in the Muslims' eyes, they have privileged access for visas uh, to come into France. Legal, they come in legally. It's not the situation that we're having in America where they're just coming in, whatever. No, they they have, but they do have privileged access. The, the issue is when Muslims come in, they come with their entire culture. They haven't figured out separation of church and state. They haven't figured out that our private and our religious life are separate. And it's actually they're correct on those. It shouldn't be separate. But they come with their entire culture and their families, and it's spreading in France. We have uh, ministries that reach out particularly to the Muslim community, especially in cities like Paris, Marseille, and other big cities. Where we live now, there is a small Muslim population, but the French Alps are not direct, not impacted as heavily as some of these other cities. But we cooperate with other missions that specialize in that to try to, and Muslims are coming to know the Lord. Not in great numbers as we would like, but they are coming to know the Lord. That's probably the number one political um, issue in France is the influx of Islamic people. Yeah. Yes? Well, now we're talking about separation of church and state, and the school is a state, it is public school, therefore you have to abide by the state's norms, and that has gone not gone over well. The, the, the government enforces it, and they comply with it, or else they start their own schools, uh, it's they, they have to comply on, because it's a public school, but they don't do it willingly, and eventually tempers get to the point where it boils over, and you hear of an event of a teacher being killed or other thing, a terrorism or something like that. It, it's it's a constant threat. It's like this thing that it's going to boil over at any time because the tension is great. Paul, yeah. oh, then no go zones like there are in Sweden. The police won't even go into the oh, well, in the big cities, yeah. I'm, but I, I haven't lived in the Paris area in so long, but there are certain areas where I wouldn't want to be walking down the streets, that's for sure. Um, so I'm, I'm sure there are areas where things are going on and the police do not intervene. Yeah, yeah there is specifically a suburb of Paris, just to the north of Paris, Saint-Denis, which is known to be that area to, if you're not familiar with that area, you better not be in it. Yeah, you just avoid it. Just north of Marseille. And just north of Marseille, too, yeah. Mm -hmm. 
prevalent is the Roman Catholic Church in tradition? The Roman Catholic Church is declining constantly. Uh, it is the official cultural link to Christianity, but it's very cultural now. It is not a, a faith. Now, there are dedicated churches and uh, dedicated Catholics that attend regularly Mass and, and are firm in their faith, but their numbers are decreasing. Uh, the, the influence of the Catholic Church is more very cultural. We're, are you Catholic? Yeah, I'm French. Well, I said, are you Catholic? Well, I'm French. And that's, yeah, but it doesn't go any further than that. They, when, when I, uh, I've learned a lot of how to evangelize in France. I, my approach at the beginning was very American, you know, corner them in a good debate and you, they've got to make a decision. You know, you know present uh, the four spiritual laws or evangelism explosion and you get them to those two questions at the end and, well, how are they going to get out of this? That doesn't work in France. I would ask them, they would hear my accent and say, no, do I detect an accent? Yes, yes, you do. And, and where do you think I'm from? We go through that game. And they say, well, what are you doing here? Well, I'm a pastor. Oh, a pastor. Oh, aren't those priests that can get married? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, that was interesting. At least you got that right, they would say. So I'd say, and you, are you? Uh, and they'd say, they would say, well, I'm Catholic. And then, non pratiquant, non-practicing. And hands up in the air. Je suis catholique, non pratiquant. Don't think I actually believe this stuff or do it. But yeah, I'm Catholic. And I thought, got him. And I said, so you're not then. Not what? You're not Catholic. Oh, yes, I am. But you don't practice it. Absolutely not. And you don't believe it. Of course not. Well, then you aren't. Yes, I am. And we're going, ah. Because to them, it was, it was irrelevant whether you believed it or not. But you're French. And French is a Catholic country. So I'm Catholic. And I learned, okay, don't play that game anymore. There are other ways to, to bring them to faith. But the Catholic Church is declining. Yeah. The Protestant movement is increasing. Um, when we went to France, they said there was one church for, one church, we're talking 50 or less, one church for every 65,000 people in France. That's pitiful. In Pinellas County, that's probably one for every three to 400 people. But in, in France, one, when we went to France, one for every 65,000. Uh, a number of years ago, the French uh, had a big meeting where they declared, we need to reach our country, and we're going to take responsibility for this. It was one church for every 35,000 people, and they said, prayerfully, together, we want to set the goal at one church for every 10,000 people. That would be tripling the number of churches. They said that in 2009. Today, it's one church for every 27,000 people. So we're getting there, but it's still a long, long road. But we're thankful for the increase, yeah. As a local church, how, how do you, does the church evangelize or yeah. get other, you know, bring in? Right. Oh, yeah, we have active, and uh, we do stress evangelism, not open-air type thing that we would do in America, but more of a friendship, get to pe uh, invite people into home Bible studies. We do concerts, we do seminars, uh, different, me and, and one key way to, we to win the French heart, the French love their their clubs, their interest groups. You know, there's the sewing club and there's the cycling club and the football club and, and the music club and all that. Well, the French like that. They like these small clusters of groups that are not never get more than 50 people. 
and it's, it's a common interest. So once you're in that group, the, the layers of building friendships evaporate because you already have something in common. So we urge all of our believers to, you have an interest out there, join that club. And if it even miss, you means missing a Sunday morning to be involved strategically that for that particular activity, you are our ambassador to that group. So just do it. You know, let's get the believers out into their environment rather than insisting they come into our environment. For one, they're not going to come to our environment. So we need to get into there. We out of time? Yeah. Okay. So we'll answer the rest of the questions when you come visit us. We have built a house in the French Alps and would love to, to have you there. So uh, just let us know when you're coming. And you'll see a beautiful part of the world. Although Clearwater is pretty nice too. So.